Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. It's time of confession as we confess to the Lord our continuing need for His forgiveness and for the Son to redeem us through His blood. Scripture today is from the Law of God, Exodus 20:12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Of course, this commandment is also repeated, reiterated by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 6. And as most of our catechisms expand upon this commandment, what is required in the fifth commandment? Fifth commandment requires that we preserve the honor and perform the duties which belong to everyone in their various roles as authorities and subordinates or equals. In other words, this has great application even beyond just your immediate family. So as we approach the Lord this morning knowing that He hears our prayer and He answers us, let us confess with faith that we are to be forgiven by Christ, not on the basis of what he sees good in us, but on the basis of the righteousness of Christ alone. <clears throat> and this reminds us that we continue to need to confess. So at this point, now, if you're willing and able, let us kneel. Verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So in the book of Philippians, this letter that the apostle wrote to the churches at, at Philippi, there are great themes, um, the pastoral concerns that he has for the for the church, that uh, the encouragement that he gives. And some of the, some of our you pick a verse and your favorite verse, and they come from Philippians. There's so many good things, and God sovereignly used the book of Philippians very early in my Christian. Walk. I was kind of enamored with word faith doctrine. That lasted about three months. I just couldn't, I couldn't square what I was hearing with what I saw in Philippians. It was, it was amazing. There's the unity of the body of Christ under His Lordship. Paul's kind of the audio autobiographical sketches that he gives. Uh, the glorious portrait of Christ in in chapter two. It's called the Carmen Christi, uh, the suffering servant. And then chapter 3, Paul's continuing warning, as he, as he did almost the entire letter to the churches of Galatia, warning against the practices of those who were of the circumcision party. Anything, and, the, and the, really the theme behind that though, is anyone who would add anything to the finished work of Christ on the cross as a basis for your justification. We just sang in one of the hymns, what does the law of God do? It, it brings the will of God before our eyes. It sets our own sinfulness before us. What can't it do? It cannot justify. 
and only Christ can justify. So these themes we see in Paul uh, being repeated through Philippians. A little bit of overall context here. Paul's ministry, he's, he's giving an example of why it's impossible for there to be this quote-unquote other gospel, which is no gospel at all, that is adding anything to the finished work of Christ on the cross. Beginning in verse 4, we're going to back up a little bit. <clears throat> Paul says this, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So in other words, you guys think you got it all together with keeping the law and doing all the, all the, the old covenant stuff? I got you all beat. He's actually kind of pulling rank here a little bit. There's a little, little bit of braggadocio in Paul, and I think he's, he's, he's okay to do this. Because he goes on, he says, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, check. Of the people of Israel, check. Of the tribe of Benjamin, check. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. As to the law of Pharisee, big check. As to zeal, persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So what has Paul just done here? He's given his, his pedigree. It's almost like his street cred to be able to address the Judaizers. He's saying, they think they're Judaizers? I'm the Judaizer of Judaizers. I got them all beat. I got all this, all the stuff that would make what what Schaefer call it the Cambridge Blue. You know, you got the leather on your elbow, you got the little thing on your jacket. You're one of them. You're the you're the in club. You're qualified, eminently qualified. But he says, according to all these outward standards, I was on my way to becoming one of the greatest teachers of the law that Israel would have ever known. He's and he's playing devil's advocate a little bit with his audience, as well as his detractors. He says, okay, I, I'm, I'm overly qualified. In fact, I, I probably wouldn't get hired in most of the synagogues because I would cost them too much. Then he goes on to say this wonderful verse, verse 7, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had, what is, what is gain? Some increase. Uh, Stuff you get. What What is this? And of course, he's saying all of this gain was according to the old covenant. And not in the context of union with Christ through faith alone. Let's look at what it means, what Paul is saying. By all of this gain, I considered loss. It's it's an it's a, a equal ultimacy here. Whatever, whatever gain I had was a deficit compared to knowing Christ. Remember what Jesus told his disciples in the crowds in Mark 8, 34. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. For whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And he says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? It's a rhetorical question. Obviously, it profits him nothing to gain the world and forfeit his soul. And Paul, in essence, is saying to gain honor and prestige from the world very often. Not always, because I, I don't want to say that any any gain you have as far as you're working hard and saving up and you know trying to fight, stave off inflation and support your family and all that. No, that's not that's not bad. That's a good thing. It's a blessing from the Lord. But in, in the worldly terms, kind of like the way the Apostle John says, love not the world, in the world's terms. That gain is opposed 
to the honor that would come from God by being a faithful servant. And is by grace alone. And then Paul continues, verse 8, Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake I have suffered loss. There again, the, the deficit column. I've suffered loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, a righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Remember, Paul considered himself the chief of sinners. He persecuted the church. Remember the story a couple months ago about the, the beheadings and right in front of downtown in London. It wasn't downtown, but it was the suburb of London. Two Muslim men rammed into a, a British soldier near, near his, wherever he was stationed, running down with a car, and, and made pretty quick work of him with a cleaver. And the man is standing there with blood on his hands to the television interviewer. I mean, one, one person, everyone's kind of walking around going, well, that's something you don't see every day. And the interview, they, they did an interview with the guy, and he's speaking lucidly and rationally. Well, of course, there are many surahs that say that I have to do this. I wouldn't do this in front of our own, our own people. That wouldn't be right. But I'm sorry you had to witness this, but I have to obey the Quran. And basically, he's very lucid and rational. And everybody got, you know, immediately outraged. And justice, we want justice, right? Stop for a second and think. What do you think Paul looked like at the stoning of Stephen? Probably pretty similar. You ever, you ever seen a stoning? I, I don't recommend it. It's not clean. Paul had blood on his hands. The Apostle Paul, the man who wrote, you know, therefore being testified by faith, we have peace, shalom with God, is the same Paul that had blood on his hands of Christian martyrs. And so he's comparing all of this great pedigree over here that's counted as rubbish. What is this word rubbish? Like, that seems a little sanitary to me. Actually, the word is scubulon. And it means probably the worst thing we can imagine is poop. It is. Paul considers all the good stuff that he ever did as absolute ick compared to knowing Christ. And he's, he's setting the goal before us. What is this goal? Well, it's Jesus Christ. It's, the, it's all the fullness of the Christian life, including its sufferings, including the persecution. I mean, how many times was Paul beaten for the faith? How many times did he take the 39 lashes? Quite a few. Shipwreck, remember? <laughs> Second Corinthians, he goes into all the way. This is, this is my lot in life, and I do it gladly for the sake of proclaiming the gospel of Christ. <clears throat> so when he talks about pressing on, you know, I press on to the mark of the high calling, continuing, continuing. I think there's something that some of us in the Reformed world need to keep in mind. That we, we're all on the same page here. It, if God doesn't turn the light bulb on, it doesn't get turned on. God has to regenerate before you can believe. That salvation is of the Lord. There's no one that seeks God. No, not one. There's none righteous. Everyone's doing their own thing. Everyone hates God. Everyone's at enmity with God unless God 
initiates, right? And he initiates with his elect. We're all clear on that. Absolutely. But there's something here that Paul is talking about. It's kind of like finishing well. It's like running a race. You don't give up halfway. You don't start a race and then, well, I just didn't really. I was winning, but whatever. Okay. Like Jesus said, you don't put your hand at the plow and then look back. You don't start and then give up. There was an old, uh, old American theologian, Dwight Pentecost. He's kind of a Dallas guy, but he said something interesting about pressing on in this, in this book called The Joy of Living. He remarked on a painting that he'd seen in London. I just want to give you a little bit of a picture of what it means that what Paul is saying. He's straining forward, pressing on. It's this, this kind of pushing. And I'm quoting uh, Dwight Pentecost here. He says, when I was in London, I found my way to several of the art museums and galleries of that city. I wanted to see some of the famous paintings he'd become familiar with, with art books, probably a Gilbert or two. It was a delightful experience to walk through the corridors. I was particularly struck with one painting. Two chariots were racing at breakneck speed. Their wheels were just a blur of motion. The charioteers, with whip in hand, were lashing their horses to the expenditure of every ounce of energy that they had. Intensity is written in their eyes, in their faces, in the set of their bodies. The horses were straining themselves, it seemed, to the point of collapse. Their eyes were wild, their nostrils distended. They gulped great breaths of air as they pressed toward the goal. With the goal before them, they were giving themselves unreservedly to the race. Those who had not so extended themselves had been left behind and were an insignificant part of the background of the painting, out of focus. The attention of the viewer was focused by the artist upon the two charioteers who strained toward the goal. That's kind of a nice picture, literally, it's a nice picture. He got a lot of that painting though, didn't he? It says that they're just, every ounce of their being is pressing toward the goal. Saints, what is our goal? What is the goal of the Christian life? It certainly isn't what we read in Ecclesiastes, you know, just misery and toil. It's not the guy in Luke who wants to store up barns. What did he say? I'm going to take my ease. I'm done working. I'll let all these guys work for me. I'll build bigger barns. I'm not. In other words, he's, he's going into retirement, right? You know, the Bible doesn't say anything about retirement. I plan on slowing down a little when I'm like 80 or so, but we'll see. We'll see. But it's a continual pushing towards the goal line. I remember a little track that we used to pass out at our Christian rock shows. It was kind of a, a comic booklet about becoming a Christian. It was relatively orthodox. Got to pass good stuff out. But one of the one of the pictures they used was was kind of behind runners going over hurdles, and it was an encouragement from Philippians to say, "Go towards the goal and don't give up." And they even made the comment that you're going to get you're going to get comments like, uh, you know, how come how come you're making the rest of us look bad? Well, you don't you don't have to go over all the hurdles and what's the big deal and if you don't stop running we'll kill you. I mean it was it was kind of direct on what kind of pushback you're going to get if you want to continue on the Christian life. 
And the fact is that as our society continues to thumb its nose, among other things, at God, as it continues to treat God's law as if it's irrelevant, as our culture continues to assume that the blessings of the West as inheritors of Christianity, as, as, as upon God's law, are just assumed and natural in the world, now we can get rid of the foundation that we build upon. We're going to need even more and more to be encouraged to press on because, let's face it, if you, if you stand and say anything, um, have you not read from the beginning God made the male and female? Oh, how insensitive. How wicked of you. Well, do, you do you realize that you're, you're calling all these uh, homosexuals over here uh, like subhuman? Isn't that horrible? If you say it again, you're fired. It happens. Did you realize it? this last week an army chaplain was called up for disciplinary action because he quoted Dwight Eisenhower in a blog post, mind you, when Dwight said, there are no atheists in foxholes. Okay, so you quote a sitting president, or not sitting president, you quote a president, something he said in a speech on your blog post, and you should be up for disciplinary action, and you're the chaplain. Whoa, up is down, cats and dogs, I mean, you know. But this is the society that we live in. So let me just close this morning, give three points of application, how I want to encourage us as God's people to indeed finish well, press on, not give up, follow the example of the Apostle Paul, and not stop until we've gained the prize of Christ himself. <clears throat> so I have, I have three little headings here, and if you're taking notes, and every sermon has to have three points, right? Three, I don't know, something about that number. Uh, let's see. Uh, first of all, run with purpose. Second of all, run with conviction. And third, run with endurance with others. I know that's a compound one, but I'm putting it in three. So what does it mean to run with purpose? Well, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9, beginning in verse 24, Don't you know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable then he goes on, I don't run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air. And what is the goal of all this? He goes on, verse. It, he actually began this section, verse 23, I do all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Paul's purpose, the purpose that we should be running with is indeed glorifying God, enjoying him forever, for the sake of the gospel of Christ. Remember, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. If anyone knows me, you know that I am one of those crazy post-mill theonomy types. I believe that God's law is application. Christ is Lord over all of life. There's no square inch, all that, okay? But we also recognize, we have to recognize that any permanent change like that is going to go not by political coercion, but by the power of the proclaimed gospel in all of its glory and terror, the holiness and love of God. We can never edit the gospel. Don't be tempt, you know, don't allow yourself to fall into the trap of pulling back on those punches that God is throwing. 
It happens all the time. I've been listening to a podcast where a guy reviews big seeker sermons. I'm like, man, I have been out of that woods so long. I don't even recognize that as preaching anymore. It's really weird. And I didn't know. I, I was sharing it with Nate Harlan. And he was like, man, it's like we don't get out much, do we? No, we don't. It's true. So we don't want to run in vain. What would it mean to run in vain? It means to just expend all your energies on, on other things. And observe, the work of the ministry requires the putting forth of the whole person. All that is within us is little enough to be employed as in running and laboring. Remember, Paul oftentimes has used the, the athlete comparison. Because look at these guys. You know, the Olympian athlete, the, the ideal man, you know, he's going to receive this, all this work he puts in, he receives a, like, olive branches that will die the next day. So they, look at all the work they do, all the self-discipline, the denial of, you know, fattening foods or whatever, and all the practice so that they can win this race and what? Win a perishable wreath. Because how, it, it's a lesser to greater, isn't it? How much more you, as the people of God, Expend self-discipline and energy and purpose because you're going to receive something that lasts for eternity. He's saying what you do now echoes for eternity. It lasts forever. And Paul tells the Philippians earlier on in chapter 2, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God without fault, in a warped and crooked generation. Folks, that's us. We're here. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Again, just putting forth the idea of, of purpose, realizing your, your, your place in history. Remember Acts 17, God has placed you in the predetermined times according to his decree, his will. He's done this for his own glory so that men would seek him and find him. And he's given evidence by raising Christ from the dead. Now he commands all men to repent. And of course, at that point, you know, he talks about the resurrection, he gets laughed at. Well, that's, that's our legacy. Remember, part of the gospel is persuading someone, and I don't think apologetics and evangelism can be separated. I think it's the same thing. Well, we want to persuade people, give up your idols, and follow a carpenter that lived 2,000 years ago who died on a Roman cross and rose from the dead. That sounds crazy. Well, yeah, to those that are perishing, that's foolish. But to the believers, that's oh, the fragrance of life. That's what we're called to do. Whatever sphere of influence you have, be the gospel, proclaim the gospel, run your race with a purpose in mind. All right, so one, one more passage, and I'll go on. 2 Timothy 2.10. Paul says that he endures everything, quote, for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That's a, that's a weighty verse, but Paul endured everything. He, he purposed that whatever he was going to do was going to be for the gospel, for the sake of God's elect people, enduring beatings and shipwrecks and all the stuff we read about, for the sake of God's people. Amen. All right, number two, run with conviction. So we have a... Purpose, now you can sound like a purpose-driven church, you know. <laughs> Here's your purpose. 40 days of purpose. I heard about a church that did the 40 days of purpose in 30 days. It's just, everyone's too busy. so We don't have 40 days to 
do that, okay? <clears throat> and I don't, I don't often do this, but I'm going to quote the Atlantic Monthly, okay? Just so you know, this is not the Word of God. But it was an article very recently, and a, and a Bible-believing evangelical scholar had done a whole bunch of interviews with young atheists who had been in some way connected with the church. It's, uh, the guy's name is uh, Larry Alex Taunton, if you want to uh, check it out. Uh, listening to young atheists, lessons for stronger Christianity. So they had all these things in common. They had attended church. The mission and message of the church was vague. They felt their churches offered superficial answers to life's difficult questions. They had all been involved in youth group. And they expressed respect for those pastors who took the Bible seriously. Wow. These were all young atheists. This is what they had in common. There was a, what do we read with that? Well, in the, in the whole you know, youth group, hey, let's you know, smear jello on each other or whatever, whatever they do that's in those magazines. I don't know. I'm kind of, again, I don't get out much. I don't know what youth groups do anymore. I used to play to a lot of youth groups, but that was, you know, that's in the past. Horrible history. Um, but what were they saying? It was a lack of clarity, a lack of conviction in the message that they were being given. Maybe it was moralisms. Maybe it was Jesus loves everybody, so, you know, or Jesus is coming back soon, look busy. Jesus saves, Moses invests. I don't know what they were hearing. But they also had respect for those guys who were serious about the Word of God. Where does that come from? It comes from the conviction that you know what you believe and why you believe it, and you're not afraid of standing upon that rock of Christ. And it kind of reminds me of the, of the story that I, I think is a true story. I don't know, it might be one of those uh, rural legends, but from what I understand, the Scottish philosopher David Hume had gone to see George Whitfield preach. That's, they both lived at the same time, big old open field. I guess Whitfield was a loud guy, so you could hear him. And David Hume is standing there listening to George Whitfield preach. And one of uh, Hume's students came up and said, well, I thought you didn't believe in this stuff. He says, well, I don't, but he does. And there was something about that believing proclamation of the gospel that kept David Hume in the audience. From what I understand, Ben Franklin used to go hear Whitfield too. Same kind of thing. Franklin was no believer. He was a deist. But he kept going to hear this guy preach and probably was going like this. No, 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 I don't want to hear it. So do you believe the gospel of Christ is the power of salvation? The power of God into salvation? Well, let's live like it. Amen? All right. And one more. Run with endurance with the church. And I'll tell you, this, this was a pleasure to bring to these families of Johnny and friends when I talked about running with endurance with the church because I heard a lot of stories about people that they didn't have a very good support system from the local church. They were kind of fobbed off. You know. I don't know. I, I'm not there. I, I'm not, I'm not going to. And other churches have great programs. Our program is great. If someone's in a wheelchair, we have to pick them up and carry them up those stairs because we don't there's no other way in the church. I'm sorry. But we're willing to do that. Okay. From Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 through 3 run with endurance. Therefore 
Hebrews chapter 11 goes before this, the hall of faith, right? Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated on the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Remember, everything in the world system, in the bad ethical sense, everything is placed strategically in a way in order to, if it's possible, trip you up, make you feel like the ridiculous one. Right? I mean, even, even good old Fox News, bastion of conservatism, right? They're unbelieving. One of the most popular guys is a Mormon. I mean, you know. Oh, but we can't we just can't we just get along? Can we tolerate? Well, okay. Pluralism is a reality. Relativism is self-refuting. And tolerance means I don't kill you. I mean, that's it's very simple. That's the world we live in, but they want to take those terms and switch them all around and play the shell game and say, no, the reality is relativism, and therefore you must tolerate everything. That means give approval. And I'm back to Romans 1 going, okay, here we are. I, I really do want to do a sketch where it's like who's on first, but it always goes to Romans 1. But I don't have the time for that. And it's got to be clever and good, too, so we can go viral. You want to help me out? <laughs> but the pagans see the, the lack of conviction, and of course that's laughable, but then it, the pagans also see those who are standing on the word, and there's, there's going to be different responses. Of course it's going to be foolishness to those who are perishing. Of course, the worldly wise, you know, the, the, the angry atheist, whoever it is, the president of Ball State just declared that, I, that intelligent design was so obviously religious that we can't even think about it in the science department. Go teach it in humanities. Yeah, they're real tolerant, right? Yeah, yeah, as if as if they've really checked it out. We have a young man in our church going to Ball State, so I sent him a whole lot of Bonson, let's put it that way. Be ready, he's, he's ready, I think. But since everything is placed in this way, and we are to be the people of God, we're to be encouraged, encouraged and encouraging to one another, especially this Lord's Day. We always speak of the Lord's Day as being, you know, orientation for the rest of the week. This is this is where you get your perspective right, or as the old Western, you got to get your mind right, kind of get your renew your mind. But as you go out in whatever sphere it is, whether it's business or your labor, education, remember it's it's all under Christ. But the world hates you and thinks you're an idiot because you trust in Christ. And that's why I think we're encouraged to not give up, not stop before the goal is reached, to run with endurance and to run as, as whoever wrote Hebrews, I almost said Paul there, but it's okay. Whoever wrote Hebrews said we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, some of whom didn't receive the, the promise, not till Christ anyway, 
And they're all like behind you, go, go, run, you do it. You're not in a literal sense, but he's saying this this cloud of witnesses, he's using that metaphorical language of a, you know, this surrounded by those who are encouraging, go, go, go. And what, what else do we read in Hebrews? Don't give up meeting together, but meet together so to what purpose? So you can encourage one another, so you can build one another up in the faith, because every as each part does its work, the church functions healthily. And there are examples in the Bible of people that didn't run with endurance, like the Galatians. Paul even uses the same language as with them. You know, who cut in on you? You were running a great race, but who butted in line at Cedar Point? You know, you, you, you were making your way to the goal. What happened? They were trying to add their own works, works of the law to the justification thing, right? So allowing the voices of the world with whatever it is, you're, you're crazy, you're foolish, you're bringing a strange teaching like Mars Hill or whatever. False teachers, even our own sinful desires can be something that is, a, is an attempt by the enemy to cut in, to stop the run and stop the race. And back to Philippians chapter 3, Paul says he forgets what is behind. There are some things that I have to forget that are in my past. I can't dwell on them. They're forgiven, but they're real. They did not happen. They didn't just happen to me. I did them. But because of Jesus Christ, remember, fix your eyes on what? Your past? No, on Christ. The Freudians are wrong. It's not about your past. It's about your future. You're looking forward to something. Looking forward to gaining Christ. Do you want to see Jesus someday? I do. The King, the, the glorious. I'm reading the Space Trilogy, so I'm all kind of full of this C.S. Lewis imagery, you know. But, you know, I'm looking forward to the day when the enemies of God bow and, and we're all bowing. And, you know, I, I can't wait for that day. It's going to be great. In the meantime, we've got a lot of work to do. So, and that means running and straining and pressing on, right? All right. So we're straining in this already justified, made right, but not reached our goal, just, just like the apostle. And we want to finish well and endure all things for the sake of the elect of God. So I think with, with that in mind, then, we encourage us to help one another on. Sometimes we stumble in this walk. That's why we need our brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside, pick us up. Be willing to accept the help. Because face it, most people would say, oh, I don't want to trouble them. Or that the other person is like, I'm just dying to help someone. Happens all the time. It happened to me. And be ready to help your brothers and sisters out who, who may be struggling. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. I have, a, I have a client as we speak that I think is going through a divorce. And it's going to be a hard conversation the next time she comes to track vocals. But i got to have it. Because I think she's my sister in Christ. But it's going to be hard. Remember, nobody said this was easy. It's a race. Races are meant to be, you know, it's meant to win a prize. It's meant to say, who's the best runner? I hope we're all the best runners. You're all winners. <laughs> Not quite. So I pray that we can take this, take it for what it's worth. It's, it's God's word to us. God is speaking to us through his word to give us encouragement. Amen. Let's, let's pray together.
first of all from Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work at it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You've probably heard the saying before, you can call me anything, just don't call me late for dinner. Some of the first words recorded of God speaking to Adam are about food. It's not a coincidence that the fall of our race involved food. God created Adam and Eve and placed them in a garden full of food and placed one tree in the garden that was off limits. They were not to eat of that one tree. All the other trees were open to them, and God used, God used to come down to walk with them in the cool of the day, and they likely ate from the tree, these trees uh, in the garden. And the serpent urges them to eat from the prohibited tree so that they may, might become like him. Perhaps Adam and Eve were tempted to think the Lord knew good and evil, not because of who he was, but of what he ate from the tree. And if they ate, perhaps they could catch up. Wisdom eats but so does folly. It is therefore not surprising that our salvation involves food. God ate with the elders of Israel on the mountain in the days of Moses. He ate with Abraham in the great day of the promise concerning Isaac. And the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament is involved and surrounds food. And so now we come to this table. We ought not to make Adam's mistake and think we can accomplish anything simply by eating. We eat and we drink our salvation, it is true, but we are also capable of eating and drinking damnation to ourselves. The chewing, the tasting, and the swallowing are common on both sides. The thing that distinguishes this is faith. If you eat the bread and drink the wine, acknowledging that you are a sinner without hope except for the sovereign mercy of God, and that by faith you are trusting in Christ alone, then there is salvation for you. If, however, you chew and swallow the same bread and wine with cynicism, with malice, and unbelief, then it is, your, it is to your own eternal punishment. The chewing and the swallowing in themselves are nothing. What matters is faith. When the Holy, then the Holy Spirit gives us the fruit of joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. Welcome to the table that Christ has made a place for you. Thank you for listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website. ChristKirkMI.com. That's C H R I S T K I R K M I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.